Open up your Bibles to Genesis 25. We'll just get right into it. No laughter. We'll just get right into it. Genesis 25, verses 1 through 11. This chapter does lead us to the conclusion of, of what we believe to be Isaac uh, chronicling this portion of Genesis. Uh, I believe the conclusion of that's in verse 19, but it's in, it's in the notes here. But we're just going to look at verses 1 through 11 tonight as we look at the latter end of Abraham's life. And I know I've said this about Genesis 22, Genesis 24, but this is a very important chapter. <clears throat> because you've heard me say many, many times, uh, and not, ju not unjust, that our salvation is not based on what our daddies did, our uncles did, our granddaddies did. And we see here this transition as Abraham passes in the beginning of this chapter, and Isaac finishes writing in the middle of this chapter, and he's kind of a wedge between Abraham and Jacob. So it's an interesting chapter as it streams these three things together, but we also kind of see uh, at times what's lost between generations. And we've seen a teaser of that already when we looked at Laban um, back in the, the middle of Genesis 24, uh, but Lord willing, we'll, we'll see a little bit more clearly here. The latter end of Abraham's life, Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 11. Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimran, and Jokstan, and Medan, and Midian, <clears throat> and Ishbak, and Shua. And Jokshan begat Sheba, and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asurim, and Let, uh, Letushim, and Le Leumim. And the sons of Midian were uh, Ephah, and Epher, and Hanok, and Abida, and Eldah. Uh, Aldea, I actually looked that one up. These are, the, these are the verses and chapters my wife loves the most, so uh, I had to look up a lot of these. All these were the children of Keturah, and Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts, and sent them away from Isaac his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, and hundred, threescore, fifteen years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, which uh, is before Mamre. The field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well Lahiroi. Uh, so as I, I think our last time studying Genesis, we mentioned uh, Lahiroi and the significance of it as being a, a little, little teaser, a little foreshadowing of Ishmael, and here he is, Ishmael's back. Abraham was 140 years old when Isaac married Rebekah, and evidently his ability to father children continued for another 10 years or so after that, uh, as we see here that he's had some with Keturah. When Isaac married uh, and, and he and Rebekah moved south to Lahiroi, leaving Abraham alone. Since Ishmael, uh, as, we, as we've noted last time out, was also sent away previously, or a little earlier in Genesis, but he's been away uh, from what evidence we have for quite a while. Not only does this chapter conclude the life of Abraham, a friend of God, but it also is the end of the generations of Isaac, uh, or the portions of Genesis that he is the chronicler of. And again, that's in verse 19. Uh, we'll see that next time. And I got a quote here from Matthew Henry. He says, All the days, even of the best and the greatest saints, are not remarkable days. Some slide on silently, 
Such were these last days of Abraham. Now, these last days aren't as miserable as his nephew Lot's, uh, which we've discussed already as well, but these are the last days of Abraham. So it's kind of significant, too, that here at the beginning of Genesis 25, as we conclude all of these wonderful types in Genesis 24, that we're reminded Abraham is not that which he typifies. Abraham is not sovereign. Abraham is not God. He's not triomni, triholy. He's still a man used of God, considered a friend of God, with imputed righteousness from God, who had a covenant with God, but he's not that which he typifies. Uh, I, I believe that Christians ought to typify Christ constantly. We ought to typify the things that we know true, to be true reflections of God in our daily lives. It doesn't make us that. We, we don't become perfect in this life, but we should be images of our Savior. He's our Master, our Lord, the King of kings. He is the one that we should look to in all things. The very first thing we want to consider here is Abraham and his estate. And, and as we've mentioned, Abraham is always very careful to take care of his estate and, and put things in an orderly fashion. We hear here the cave Machpelah uh, mentioned here, where we remember that he paid what was asked as far as purchasing this cave. We see here that he's taken back to that cave and that the concubines and, and Keturah, whether she was or wasn't a concubine, we'll deal with that in a moment, and these children of, 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 of Hagar's and hers as well, they're sent away. They're not kept by for, this, for the cave. So we see here an account of Abraham's uh, it begins with an account of Abraham's children by Keturah and the disposition which he made of his estate. After the birth of these sons, he set his house in order with prudence and justice. He did this while he yet lived. It's, uh, he displays here again a great wisdom for us to emulate, that we are to um, do these things while we live, if we can, uh, to apply clarity. And, of course, we, we have the opportunity there to speak to our responsibility to have a will and things of that nature. But we should also seek to restore broken relationships now while we yet live. We should repent now while the day is at hand, while we yet live. Whether our stay in this life be long or short, it matters very little. Provided we leave behind us a testimony to the faithfulness and goodness of the Lord and a good example to our families. I think, um, given that we've, we've all experienced so many funerals in the last year and a half, I think of some of the things that I've read on those tombstones as we've walked by. And I think that if I don't leave behind a, a reputation of godly character, that I probably shouldn't put his name anywhere near my tombstone. I shouldn't accidentally convince someone walking by that God had an impact on my life if those that knew me did not know God through me. And that's something we should be very, very careful of because is that really any different than taking his name in vain? Slapping it onto a stone where there is no reputation, where there was never any picture of him to begin with? We should be very careful. Not to keep it secret that we're Christian, but to live like it's nowhere near a secret. To live like our mission, our purpose, is to present Jesus Christ in our actions and in our words. We are told that his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him. This is a pretty big deal, because the last we've read of Ishmael, Sarah sent him away. 
She said that there was a, a disruption between the two, a jealousy between the two, and she didn't want to deal with it. Abraham deferred to her, uh, her decision-making on it, and she sent Hagar and Ishmael away. And we, we remember the text, so I won't remind you of all the things there, but this is really the last that we saw of him. So for these two to be together again at this season of life would have been significant. It seems that Abraham had himself brought them together brought him to where he lived, that at some point communicated his wishes and, and, and his will, for a lack of better words, his will for how things should be handled when he was done. What an example of fatherhood. While these two had a strained relationship from the very beginning, it was the will of their earthly father that they come together to their father's estate, that there be some issue or some concern that would unite the two. They were his sons. They were his sons. We should seek wherever possible to bring peace to hostile situations that sit under our authority. And un unfortunately, as Baptists, there's typically a lot of them. We got a lot of broken relationships, a lot of hurt feelings that we need to make sure that we're quick to forgive so that there aren't these long wounds that have to be restored and healed. When, when a little one, when, when Zebediah would be uh, running around and, and bonk his head on something, and here lately it's everything, we would get an ice pack. We'd do the same for Livy or Laney or Isaac. We'd get an ice pack to keep the swelling from going up. But if we were to speak in air or speak out of turn about a brother or a sister and hurt them, do we tend to the wound in such a way? Do we tend to the swelling? Do we tend to the emotions? These things can be devastating. We should seek during life to bring modesty, duty, and responsibility to light for our lineage. We should seek every opportunity where we've erred to repent in front of our children, in front of our families, that they see how important it truly is. It's never too late in life, whether your children are children or adults, to teach repentance. We see here that Abraham lived 175 years he lived 100 years after coming to Canaan. Abraham's death shows what faith can do for a man. He died in peace. Genesis 15, 15 said, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. He died full or satisfied. He saw Isaac come into being. He saw Isaac married. We think of what his heart was back there in Genesis 24, that that was his great concern, that he sent his best and most, faith, most faithful servant to go and find a wife for his son. He's satisfied. He got to see this happen. He got to see that the Lord had not forsaken his promises and not forsaken his friend. He died in faith. We see that in Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It's easy to lose sight of who Abraham was, but this is a man that lived in tents. He was a man with supreme armies that fought valiantly and won a war, and gave allegiance and glory to God for it. He's buried in a cave. This isn't a man who sought a golden throne, who, who sought to communicate only by lifted scepter. This was a man after God, the man faithful to God, even when he, God said to take his only son up to Mount Moriah 
and give him over as a sacrifice, Abraham was still found faithful. And we see here that this is the heritage that he leaves for his son Isaac. And while we only have a few verses left of that particular portion of the Bible, we've seen quite a bit of Isaac. We've seen quite a bit of the environment around Isaac, not only of Isaac himself, but how, how this, this community, how these servants, how his wife, how Isaac was received by the world in a sense. We see his godly example in Genesis 18, 19. It says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. This was the Lord speaking about Abraham. And they shall keep the way of the Lord. And this they here applies to Abraham and his lineage to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. As we get into the series of these godly attributes, we'll see that justice and judgment are very, very important to God. It's very significant here that the observation the Lord makes of Abraham is that Abraham and his lineage will do justice and judgment. It's very, very significant because it means that much to God. It doesn't seemingly mean all that much to man anymore, but it means a lot to God. Part of this heritage was also the wonderful promises of God that we see in Genesis 26, verses 2 through 5. The Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee. These are the promises not made to Abraham. These are the promises made to his lineage. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto thy seed all these countries and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The significance of that being uh, respoken here is that this same oath is now uh, passed down to the lineage. It's now being, uh, I don't want to say re-promised, but Others are being brought into the covenant just as Abraham was told they would be. These spiritual blessings mean far more to a son than material wealth. Abraham left some material wealth as well. But we don't read about that in the scripture because that's not the significant part. The values laid out for the faithful servant that the faithful servant carried with him as if they were his own values. That was significant. What Abraham was able to accomplish in life following after God Though he made mistakes as we make in the flesh, they're passed down to his lineage. And the last thing we want to look at here is the new branch of the family. And really, there's only a few things to, to note here. Uh, and you'll forgive me if this is shorter than my hour-long sermons typically are. But uh, as mentioned, I'm a, little, I'm a little tired from last week and we got a business meeting tonight. But the new branch of the family, we have to say a few words on this. Abraham's marriage after the death of Sarah brought him six more sons and at least seven grandsons and three great-grandsons. Note that these, addition, these additional sons of Abraham do not have the status given to Isaac. For like Christ... He is the heir of all things. Hebrews 1-2, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, God the Father speaking to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. What are we joint heirs of? That which Christ Jesus was originally heired. We share that inheritance. Uh, Keturah, his wife here, she's a little bit more of a mystery. Her name uh, means incense. 
But there doesn't seem to be anything in Scripture really in relation to her home or to her background. Sometimes you find this. Uh, if you look up a name in Strong, sometimes it'll give you the heritage of the name. That's not available to us either. Chronicles refers to her as a concubine, uh, as well as possibly what we see here in our text in verse 6. First uh, Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32 says, Now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine, she bears Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua, and the sons of Jokshan, Sheba, and Dedan, and so on. Literally what we've just read. Uh, it would seem unlikely that she would be a Canaanite, given Abraham's concern for Isaac's bride to not be uh, from Canaan, but we really don't have much proof as to the fact that she is or that she isn't. Of the sons, though, there's one who will have a profound impact throughout the remainder of the Bible, and that is uh, Midian. Uh, the Midianites will serve as allies to the Ishmaelites, which we'll see in Genesis 37. They'll also be involved with the Moabites in Numbers 25, which, Lord willing, we'll get to at some point, lest the Lord should return. And they're involved with the Amalekites in Judges chapter 6, verse 3. And, the, and the, these first 11 verses conclude with Abraham being buried in the cave of Machpelah where uh, Sarah was late. Isaac is now the only surviving heir to the promises. Not the only surviving heir because there's Ishmael and there's these new sons uh, that Keturah provided. But he's the only surviving heir to the promises that God had laid out. Now there was a different set of promises made to Hagar and Ishmael, which we'll, we'll deal with later. But the promised seed that we've been focusing on since Genesis 3, this is now on Isaac. What an interesting situation to find ourselves in a chapter that, uh, that wraps so many things up and then launches us right into uh, the story of Jacob. Uh, and I would ask that you be very much in prayer as we make this transition. We, we also uh, transition into a new writer, which we'll deal with that next time, Lord willing. Uh, so again, continue to pray for this study. Uh, continue to read these things. There's no doubt the Lord will reveal things to you that I have not seen, things that would uh, add to good godly conversation uh, concerning this study. We are all on this journey together, so what a wonderful opportunity that we have to, um, to be studying this book of beginnings.